You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I am your host, Adam Perry. Today, I'm really excited to talk with Georgia Favoretto on pivoting during COVID. So a little bit about Georgia. She's the vice president of marketing at Automotive mastermind, overseeing brand, digital, and event marketing, as well as marketing automations at demand generation. So big job. She's got more than a decade of experience in marketing implementation and cross-channel demand generation, and she champions close collaboration with marketing, product, sales, account relation teams, ensuring the mastermind brand and messaging is integrated across all channels and industry. Georgia, I am really excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. What a great introduction. I'm very excited to be here today and talking about COVID. Who isn't excited about talking about COVID? <laughs> I mean, I can't believe we're still talking about COVID, you know, two years into it, but here here we are. You know, you and I were talking off screen. What was really interesting for me is those first crazy days of COVID, right? And how everyone's trying to make sense out of the madness. Now, you're in a particular industry, automotive of course, highly impacted by COVID, right? Shelter in place, no one's driving. So listen, I would love it if you just start off by by walking us through the sensitivity that you had to have talking with like dealerships, which is, you know, one of the folks that you do business with at Automotive Mastermind at a time when like they are, they're feeling the pain. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't remember where they were when the, they heard that the world is shutting down on, I think it was about March 13. I can probably even remember the minutes, the hour, the seconds. For us, we were actually in, in an offsite with a commercial team and essentially the world came to a standstill and nothing really teaches you how to think in your feet and pivot it on a dime and learn how to survive like a real crisis. So yeah, I mean, the, our value is to really be partnered to our dealership and help them sell more cars. So the sell more car was going to be a challenge right in that moment. And, you know, most of them, all of them, I would say, pretty much had to close doors essentially overnight with no playbook to how to do it. Like, how do we close our shops? How do we communicate with our customer? How do we still service car? How do we help our employees? I mean, there was infinite amount of questions they had, right? So as a marketing, as an organization, we just didn't want to be insensitive and continue like the businesses you pretend that we continue business as usual, pretend we could do demand generation and ask our dealers for, would you like a demo of our product? That would have been really insensitive to say the least. And, but we also had a tremendous amount of resources that we could pull in from internally because 90% of our employees and masterminds come from their dealership. They understand the, all the challenges and and they have like years and years and years combined of of experiences. So we thought very, very quickly, how can we stay true to our value, which is always a partner, never a vendor. So how do we partner with our dealers and help them in this moment of crisis. 
And that came the opportunity for us because quickly as, as the ManGen team, we came together and said, how do we collect pieces of content that is timely and supportive of our dealer? Nothing to do with our product. Checklists on how to close your dealership, like checklists on how to communicate to your employees, best practices for COVID, being health-wise versus also HR-wise versus what are all the things you have to take care of when you have to close a store? Like you, if you think about it, it's an infinite amount. So we actually had our disposal, all this information into the best of our ability. We quickly created, you know, one pager checklist, ebooks, video, very quick videos and how to, and we, we created a COVID resource center. And we actually then leverage all of our assets in a variety of social media, digital media, PR, email to communicate directly to customers, just providing 100% content for them. So looking at 100% for them. I got to take a second to unpack this. So first of all, there's a whole bunch of the automotive business that I, I think people just think about car dealerships as selling cars. But you mentioned service and you mentioned yes. uh, talking with them about like communications internally, right? With all the employees at a car dealership. That is, and you pivoted to help these dealerships deal with the crisis that they were facing, which is different than like, hey, I need to sell more stuff. Exactly. That is, first of all, awesome that you guys quickly realized that, hey, these guys are hurting. This can't be business as usual. But I, I, I do think it's interesting that there's all these pieces of the business that needed help and you plugged in across the entire spectrum. It wasn't just like, okay, well, how do you talk to people about selling more, you know, selling any units during a crisis? You know, you touched all the parts of the business. Really interesting. Yeah. And the other thing we did pretty quickly, we, we created kind of a, a task force of our own customers, almost like a dealer panel where every week we try to talk to about 10 or 15 of our dealers and, and keep our ear to the ground to say, okay, what, what do you need this week? What's going on? We were all learning from them and they were learning from us. And the other thing I want to say is really the fruit of the labor that we put from a demand gen perspective in terms of marketing technology came really at the right, came all to fruition right at the right time. We spent the whole prior year creating our MarkTech and one of the pivot marketing technology piece that we put in place was Uberflip, which helped us with the content. And I have to say that being able to have you know, a platform that could allow us to publish these pieces and then our relationship with our agency, our PR agency, to really distribute these pieces so quickly was another thing that was absolutely pivot. So we had, we knew what we needed to be done. We had the resources to do it and to distribute it. And it all came together rather, rather quickly within the first two or three weeks. Awesome that you leveraged the technology that you built out. Also pretty fortunate timing. Yes. Quick question on that. Outside of Uberflip, were there other pieces of the technology stack that you think helped uh, bring the whole package together? I'm always fascinated by like how people leverage technology. Yeah. So Uberflip was for the content for sure. And we use a uh, marketing automation, which was helpful for us, obviously, but that that's really a core. Other thing we did do is we actually use a tool called Gaggle Amp, which is an, one of the options to help distribute via social using the network internally that you have, because 
We have over 150 people in our commercial team, and a vast majority of them has an infinite network of dealer, not just current dealer, but prospect. So by quickly creating the content and being able to leverage the Gaggle AM platform for them to then just take it and repurpose it in their social media network, it's sort of like this tree that just goes really, really fast and reaches a broader spectrum. So that was also very helpful. And it's pretty simple and fairly inexpensive tool that as long as your employees are synced in, it's just a click of a button and they repurpose the content to their own social media network very, very fast. That's pretty neat. All right. So COVID happens, you guys are figuring it out. Now you're basically a hub for these dealerships to sort of figure out how to deal with the impact to their business. And then just when you start to get that sort of under your thumb and figure it out, there's this second wave, not of COVID, although there was a second wave of that too with the Delta variant. But then we run into this unbelievable, you know, supply chain broken shortage, which I understand like impacted the automotive industry. There's there's part shortages, there's a chip shortage. Yes. People who do want cars, they can't, they can't even get new units. So do you want to talk about when that hit and the second wave and and just the effect it had on your ecosystem? Yes. So like you said, there was one very, very strong crisis in the spring of 2020. We sort of resurfaced from that crisis around summertime and then fall. And then around Q1 of 2021, the supply chain broke from the chip shortage from the OEM so that the cars was starting not to be produced. So that's a very like probably at this point, even your listeners will know because if you try to buy a car right now, you probably pay beyond the premium if you find it. And so the model even for, for the United States is changing and is becoming more like a European way. Like in Europe, if you buy a car, you are used to waiting six months. The pre-ordering system is the norm in Europe. I know I'm European. I come from Italy, so it's I know it. Yeah, you just pre-order a car and it's easily a six months, but that's an accepted model. There's a lot less inventory that sits in the in the dealership and uh, normally whereas in america there's there is the opposite approach well we are going into a full european model like now six months is pretty much the norm for you to wait for for your next vehicle unless you are fortunate enough to find a pre-owned that works for you so coming out of a crisis right into another we did a very similar thing in two ways from a pure marketing perspective now we had already sort of the model, the playbook, the infrastructure to create a similar type of approach in terms of like thought leadership content. And by the way, because of the first wave of crisis, we now we're truly on the map for these dealers, right? They trusted us. They knew that the content we produced was helpful and that was hugely mutually beneficial, I'd say. And so now phase two of this, we sort of repeated the same sort of process. And this time we kind of anticipated it because we're part of a huge organization called IHS Market, who is in the business of predicting these big macroeconomic crises. And so we actually started producing and pumping the, some of this content and the support for the dealers about three months ahead of the real crisis hitting. So our content library was really full of these supports and our even our marketing 
approach was 100% around pre-owned versus, you know, new car sales model and predicting people that could sell pre-owned and buy pre-owned. So, you know, we're in the data business, we predict buyer's behavior on behalf of the dealers and we market to these, these potential customers on behalf of the dealers. So we were actually able to flip it and see the opposite side of the spectrum. So it's not just about who wants to buy a new car, but who wants to come in service with a dealer, who wants to sell their pre-owned because they still have, you know, equity in their, on the car or, or even like predict specifically car models that the dealer wanted to buy, right? The dealers don't want to buy all car models. So there's a lot of things that we could do with our data. So we were able to, to sort of like own into our core value also from a data perspective and expand even our product services during this time of crisis, which is a whole other aspect of the thing we're, we have done since this new card inventory. <laughs> I do think the effects on the secondary market, the used car market, is is pretty interesting as, as a guy who owns a vehicle, a couple of them, and I was getting much more aggressively targeted to trade in my vehicle. So I, who knows, yes. maybe it's one of those models that is desirable. I wouldn't think a convertible would be, but I, you know, you never know. We probably sent you a piece of marketing <laughs> for sure. I don't doubt it. <laughs> you know, you said something that was super impactful to me. You talked about the second time around, how exhausting it was both for your team and for the dealerships who are now having to deal with this second wave of challenge. And how that was really related to, like, look, we are willing to change as, as a business, as people who work at that business, we're willing to pivot, but change is hard. It's, it really takes a lot more out of you. Do you have any anecdotal stories that, that you can share about either someone on your team who's just like, I can do this, but it's really taken a lot out of me, or maybe dealers who are like, I can't believe we have to deal with this second thing. And I just want to humanize, you know, th- these challenges that we've been through a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the dealers, I feel this second wave almost, quote unquote, benefit them in in terms of like being able to make some some profit that they might have not made in the past because now there's less cars. So, you know, it's more like a seller market than, than a buyer market for, but they're feeling as well because they're looking ahead and say, okay, great, but... If this lasts six more months, then we have a different different story. From a human perspective, internally from our team, you know, we have all felt it. I even felt it personally, you know, finally going on a vacation this summer and then coming back to yet another crisis that we had to deal with. And it really took a lot of like coming together as a team. I mean, there's a lot of trust that I think I and, and the company has been able to build given all the the work that we've done so far and support our team. But, you know, we all had to really, really get in a room and yet again at the end of the of the summer and just try to think, okay, what's next? How do we do this? How do we not lose sight of our value? From a marketing perspective, we all know we want to be focused. We don't want to dilute our value prop when we go out and confuse the market. So it really took everything we had to say, okay, let's stay true to our value, but still pivot, expand, and work hard to to make through this other crisis. 
I mean, I would lie if I tell you that has not taxed a lot of us. It's we're very well aware of it as a company. And so we've been doing a lot more, even in person. Now we're trying to get together. We're trying to, to celebrate as much as possible the win. Despite the challenges, we are doing extremely well. And we are continue to just like come together as almost an extended family. First of all, great to hear that you guys are able to at least take some time and get together. So that's, of course, always encouraging to see folks who are able to take advantage of that. Would you say that you guys are pretty good at now, like remote work or, or a little bit more used to it now? Have you sort of settled into that piece of it? We have. I mean, and it's funny, like we have settled and yet everybody that is around a headquarter has voluntarily come in to see each other in the office within being vaccinated, masking and all that good stuff. But we're sort of eager and happy to see each other as much as possible. And then it's really re-energized as we had a couple of summit last week in person. And I can tell you, I was exhausted by the end of the week because we're so not used to be outside our house 12 hours a day. And, but also I was very, very energized by it. And it makes a big difference when you can do things in person when it's safe and possible. The, the good exhausted, not the bad exhausted. The good exhausted. Yes, yes, yes. But I was like, OMG, my house is a disaster because I have not been in it for five days straight and I'm not used to it. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, so I just want to finish off by talking about larger lessons that you feel like you have learned as an executive helping your team manage these crises or lessons for business that happened on this back-to-back one-two punch you've sort of been through. Anything you want to share with our listening audience, mental models to help them manage these? Listen, if you're in the beginning part of your career, this is not the last crisis you're going to face. No, no, for sure. I mean, I think from... A leadership perspective, the one thing that was a game changer for us back in March, specifically in 2020, was the overly abundance of communication from leadership. We had daily support communication. We went above and beyond to do things virtually that was fun and connecting individuals as much as possible. But, you know, honesty and communications about the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as all the things that are going well in terms of, you know, crisis and fear, people really appreciate to know what they're up to, what they're up against. But also just recognizing the challenges, not ignoring, you know, people that struggle from a employee perspective from a person that might be new or starting their career or or even just people that have been around for a long time. We just did an amazing, we have actually a committee that organizes all sorts of diversity and support. And they we just did an amazing Zoom call together that was run by one of our employees who actually has an MS in psychology, but went into commercial, so amazing. And really it was incredible because it was like this opening and knowing, getting to know each other, opening about, you know, struggle, crisis. I mean, we've been all living in a firefly mode for the best part of 20 months and the crisis is not over. And we all, I think, waiting for the next shoe to drop. So just like recognizing each other. And we kind of started this program 
very voluntarily, like call one or two or three people in the company to say hello, just like, and recognize how you're doing. So just little things, right? Recognitions, addressing of things, supporting each other. And, you know, if you are struggling, just talk, to speak to somebody. I think you you recognize there's a lot more people that either struggle like you or want to support. And there's been a lot of that and it's been very helpful. Yeah, I love the idea that we don't, suffering in silence, not a good idea. Let people know that you're that you're beat up and that you might need a little extra helping hand. Yeah, yeah. And it, there's lots of internal resources, people that are willing to talk to you or support it, not just even psychologically, but even just from a work perspective. The other thing we did, we have a kind of women in power program internally. And the one thing that I noticed throughout the, the crisis was these us women specifically has, has been well you know, in the media that women are affected more than men, primarily because normally they have to take care of the either loved ones or kids or whatever, I mean, from the pandemic. And being a woman that wants to continue in her career and wants to continue to grow, but also it's exhausted by a seven-year-old that, you know, <laughs> had to be taken care of and et cetera. We also created a support for women where it's okay to struggle. It's okay to take a quick pause but also don't lose sight of your career. And you can do both by, you know, making the right choices and pacing yourself. So we, we're trying to support that too, because I do think that women will suffer the most in terms of their career progression if we don't find a way to recognize the struggle and support it. And I think that's what we're trying to do also internally. We have a lot of, of different, very helpful committee that we try to continue to maintain and, and even more so during covid Yeah, I think that's such a strong message, this idea that like, hey, we understand that as a woman, that you might be more impacted and that you have to take care of family, whether it's children or loved ones. But that doesn't mean you have to give up your career, you know, prioritize, block and tackle, do what you have to do, but don't give up, right? Exactly. And we're here for you as a business on the other side. Exactly. Because we want you, your voice is important, you know, come back to the table and participate. Don't let that take you off your career track. If you want it, it is there for you. Exactly. All right. Georgia, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. This was a, a really interesting and great story. The uh, The second wave for a lot of people did mean Delta. And it's interesting for you that the supply chain hiccup was more than just a hiccup for the automotive business. And listening to your story and hearing how your team went through basically back-to-back crises, well, it resonated with me and I'm glad you're able to share it with our audience. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was uh, really fun and I really appreciate your time. All right. Bye everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 